So we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verses 1 through 7, page 1202, if you are using a pew Bible and are unfamiliar with uh, finding your way around the Bible, you can go to page 1202, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. We're continuing our study through Peter uh, this winter, taking it a section at a time. Today we come to an instruction on wives and husbands. One of the most uh, painful and perplexing experiences of the Christian life is when you have a close loved one who doesn't know Jesus. Um, When you love Jesus, when you trust Christ, when you believe in him, when you're excited about studying the Bible and excited about coming to church because you get to worship the Lord, when, when that's where your heart is, but you have a husband or a, a daughter or a, a, a mom or a brother who, who you love deeply, they're, your, they're the most important people to you in this world, and yet, you know, they don't love Christ the same way you do, and that is such a painful experience. How, how do you talk to them? How do you, how do you share the Lord with people you love? I think sometimes it's easier to walk up to a complete stranger and talk about the Lord than it is to talk, about, talk to a family member sometimes. As a pastor over the years, I have asked a question of people that pastors ask that we should all be asking each other regularly. I've asked that question, how can I pray for you? And how many times over the years, countless have I heard, pray for my mom, pray for my sister, pray for my husband. Well, Peter wants to help us this morning. First Peter is uh, uh, going through different situations in which Christians find themselves, and today he writes about husbands and wives. But, but this isn't a kind of generic teaching about husbands and wives, although there are general principles here that, that we'll find. You, you know, if, if you kind of want a generic Bible teaching on husbands and wives, you go to like Ephesians chapter 5. But, but 1 Peter chapter 3 is, it's about husbands and wives, but it's coming at it from a particular angle. And that angle is specifically wives who are followers of Jesus, but who are married to husbands who aren't. And so how do, we, how do we navigate that? And even if you're not a wife or even if you're, you're not even married, uh, whoever you are today, I think all of us as Christians can gain some insights from this passage, even if that's not our specific situation, because we all have people we love who we would love to come know the Lord, but we struggle with how to reach them and, and what to do and what to say and what not to say and how to behave. So let me read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. 
You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, I'm fully aware that there's alarm bells going off all over this sanctuary this morning. I, I get it. I, I know right now people are going, what? <laughs> uh, this is one of those challenging passages, especially when we read it with a 21st century American lens and, and we react from our own perspective and our, our viewpoint. Even those of us here who love the Bible, and I know many of us do, we, we love God's Word, we love Jesus, we believe it, and then we read words like this, and it's like, what? <laughs> and, and this is challenging in, in this kind of passage. But what, what I want us to do this morning is what we try to do every time. We want to put our reactions on hold. We want to take our 21st century lens and put it on pause and, and first understand what Peter was trying to say in his context. What, was, what did the author mean? What is he trying to get across? And so he's, talk, he's writing to wives here. And we need to remember that the situation of wives in a Greco-Roman culture was very different than, than what it is for women today. That in Greco-Roman culture, a wife was socially and even legally subordinated to her husband. That, that, there, that, that a husband had an authority that was even legally recognized and culturally recognized. So, for instance, uh, the Greek uh, philosopher and writer Plutarch, he, he talks about the fact that when a, when a wife married a husband, she was expected to adopt the religion of her husband. She, she was supposed to come into his house and, and fit into his system. Um, and so in that cultural context, imagine that you're a pagan wife married to a pagan husband, and everything's going swimmingly until one day you hear about the gospel. And you hear that Jesus Christ died for sinners and he rose again, and that if you put your faith in him, you can be forgiven, and the Holy Spirit touches your heart, and now you've been converted. Now you're a Christian woman married to a pagan husband. What are you supposed to do? You're no longer you know, in, in a right relationship. You're no longer adopting his gods. In fact, as you grow in your, your faith as a Christian, you're like, I can't worship those gods at all. And so now there's turmoil and turbulence in the home, and, and one of the great Greco-Roman values was a well-ordered home. And so now your husband doesn't have a well-ordered home, and now he's potentially losing face in the community. And so there's just a lot of trauma that's going on as people are coming to faith and, and upsetting the social order. I, I'm sure some of you maybe have, even though we don't live in Greco-Roman times, some of you have had that experience where you came to faith in Jesus as an adult. And, and, and suddenly you're like, wow, Jesus, and your whole family's going, what? <laughs> you know, did you join a cult? What's happened to you? What, why are you behaving like this? And suddenly you've disrupted the family system and, and people don't know what to do with you. And there's a lot of turmoil that comes as a result of that. And so Peter's writing to wives in the situation. And, and he says to them, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. In other words, continue to honor and follow your husbands. Interestingly, look what he says in verse 1. He says, in the same way. Is the same way as What? Well, in the same way as he's been talking about since the last chapter, 
If you go back to chapter 2, for those of you who have been here the last two Sundays, we see that, that Peter has been addressing Christians in Greco-Roman culture who find themselves in subordinate roles in the society. So he starts in verses 13 to 17, and he addresses citizens. Citizens were to be subordinate to the Roman emperor, who happened to be a bloodthirsty pagan <laughs> in, his, in the case of Nero. And yet he says, verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake, not because Nero was right, but in order to honor the Lord. Or in verses 18 to 25, which we studied this last Sunday, there were slaves, Christians who were slaves in, in a very oppressive system. And he says in verse 18, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not because slavery was right, not because the Bible approves of slavery, but because that's where they found themselves. What are they supposed to do? And so he says, Submit yourselves to your masters, even if they don't treat you well, because that's what Christ did. So when he comes to chapter 3, he's still talking about Christians who, in the social structure, were in a subordinated role, and he says you need to submit yourselves to your own husbands. So that, why? What's the, what is the goal? What is it we hope that will happen? Verse three, Chapter 3, verse 1. If any of them do not believe the word they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. If your husband doesn't believe the word of the gospel, then win him over without talking to him. Just win him, attract him to the gospel with your life. Show him that, that you're an even better wife, thanks to Jesus. Let him see the transformation of your character as, as a person, you know, some of us came to faith in Jesus as adults, and um, I don't know if any of you ever did this, but you came to faith in Jesus for those in that situation, and so what's the first thing you do? You, you run home to your family, and you start telling them how they all need to believe in Jesus now, and they need to get on board because they're going to hell, and they need to be saved, and there's forgiveness, and come on, and, and you know, your family's just going like, what? You know? But you're like a pit bull. You're like, oh, but this is amazing. You're so excited about your newfound faith, and they're not excited. And, and so you come in charging like a bull and, and just blasting everyone with the truth. And, you know, it's good to share the gospel. We should always do that. But, but it's, you, you know, the, the grace of the gospel message is not paired with a gracious delivery. And so as a result, your family's just on their heels wondering what happened to this person that they used to be perfectly happy with. Perfectly happy with. And so Peter says to the, to the wives, listen, win them without words. Make sure that they can see, as he says in verse 1, the behavior, your, your conduct, wives. You know, if you're in a subordinated role in, in a social situation, whatever culture you're in, it's hard when you're the person who's subordinated to, to, to speak to the person who's above you. You know, it's hard to speak to your boss if you're an employee and to challenge them on, on the gospel. So, so one of the tactics that Peter says is let them see your lives. Let them see. And that's the theme we saw in chapter 2, right? Let, people are watching. Let them see your transformed life so that they may be won over without words by the behavior of the wise, verse 2, when they see the purity and reverence of your life. Attract them with the beauty of your character. That's the point of verses 3 and 4. He says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, 
such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment. Now, what is Peter saying here? Is he saying that women shouldn't, like, brush their hair? And, you know, you're not allowed to ever wear anything nice? Is, it, is this like a dress code, like a Christian dress code? You know, like, you know, disheveled and frumpy is the new sexy or something like that. <laughs> what, what, Peter, what are you saying here? And I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's the point. The point isn't to, to make a set of legalistic rules about what you can and can't wear. The point is, where does your beauty come from? Where do you look for your beauty? And, and beauty, in God's eyes, comes from character and from heart, not from outward adornment. Um, I think that's a really important message, especially today in the 21st century in America. I have two daughters, both teenagers, and, and I'm very aware of the bombardment they receive from the internet and from advertisements and from every actress on TV and every actress on movies. You, you know, all of these, these tall, skinny, beautiful, airbrushed images that, that are thrown at, at my daughter saying, this is what beauty is. And it, it's an assault. It's overwhelming. But to know that that's not real, that, that's not the kind of beauty that... that stirs God's heart. And so instead, verse 4, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty. By the way, unfading beauty, character is unfading, outward beauty fades. Can I get an amen from all of my fellow travelers who are 40 and older? You know, it's, that's right, yeah. It's fading. Yeah, it's fading. But character doesn't fade. The inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You know, fancy clothes and gold jewelry are of great worth in in the world's sight, but this kind of spirit, this gentle spirit, is of great worth in God's sight. A gentle and quiet spirit. That word gentle can be translated meek. It's, It's the word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. And then a quiet spirit, a peaceable spirit, a a non-contentious spirit. So reverence and purity and gentleness and quiet. I mean, that's beautiful. Have you ever known a a, a woman, or a man for that matter, who's humble, who is kind and gentle and gracious and forgiving and not pushy and not controlling, but nurturing those kind of people are awesome. They're beautiful. That's real beauty. Or, or do this. Think about the opposite of those words. What would be some adjectives you would think of that might be the opposite of those kinds of words? Rude, pushy, controlling, manipulative, angry, harsh, critical, cynical, bitter. That's, that's just ugly, whether it's in a woman or a man. That's just ugly. And so he says, Peter is saying, look, attract your husband to Christ by letting him see really the character of Jesus Christ shining through your life. Let let it not only be the gospel message of words, but then let the gospel message with words be corroborated by a gracious 
person that's being transformed slowly into the image of Christ. And then he gives us an example, verse 5. He says, for this is the way the holy women, I love that, holy women, be a holy woman, be a holy man. This is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. So now Peter is, is looking back into the Hebrew Scriptures of all the, the great heroines of the faith, and he's like, they were beautiful, but it was their character, it was their godliness, it was their love for the Lord, and it was the way that he says in verse 5, they were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You're her daughters if you do what is right. Do not give way to fear. Maybe you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham said, Abraham was called by God to leave his homeland and go to a land he did not know. And Sarah went with him. She, she followed. She, she submitted to that call. Even when Abraham was doing kind of stupid things, you know, he didn't always make the right choices. Remember, he went, he went down to Egypt. He was called to the promised land, but then he went down to Egypt. And uh, Egypt in the book of Genesis is, is the place of slavery. <laughs> It's, it's not a great place. Um, and he went down to Egypt instead of staying in the promised land where he was called. And, uh, and, and he's, he said to his wife, he's like, look, when we go to Egypt, you know, the guys here might think you're beautiful, so just tell them you're my sister, okay, because I don't want them to kill me or anything like that. It's like, Abraham, that's really stupid, okay? But, you know, she's like, oh, okay. And uh, the, Lord, the Lord came through for them, even though Abraham didn't provide the best leadership in that situation. But... But she, she submitted herself, and she called him master. Um, I've decided I'm just going to leave that up to you individual couples, uh, how to handle the master thing, okay? So I'm just going to let you work that out on your own. But, you know, she, she was a picture of this kind of beauty, this, this kind of, of, of woman who submitted. You, you know another example, I think, of submission that, that's beautiful and that's a model for wives is Jesus. Jesus Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father. I think sometimes we hear the word submit and, and we hear that with American 21st century ears that says you never, ever, you know, yield to anybody. It's all about you. But Jesus Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father, though he was the Son of God, and he submitted himself to to the plan of the cross. None of us would be saved today had it not been for the submission of Jesus. It was his submission that saved us. It was his willingness to say, yes, Father, I will do your will, and I will go to that cross to bear their sins. So for us as Christians, the concept of submission isn't inherently evil. It it can be evil. It can be used in bad ways. But it's not inherently bad. We're called as Christians to submit to one another, to defer to one another, to give each other place of preference, to say, you know, you've got an idea and I've got an idea. I think my idea is better. But let's go with your idea. We can do it your way. And, and, and that attitude of, of being willing to follow another person, that's what submitting means, is a beautiful thing. And so here's Peter telling wives who are married to non-Christian husbands, Christ, husbands who aren't Christians, maybe husbands who are hostile. He's like, you've got to win them over without words. It may not be the best strategy just to come in and, and talk to them every day. Why don't you come to church? Why don't you do this? You know, hmm, back off. 
and let them see the beauty of Christ in you. Is that a guarantee that unbelieving husbands will come to faith if you do that? No, this is not a formula. But, but it's, it's the approach that we take as we trust the Lord. I love what he says at the end of verse 6. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. I think sometimes it's easy to feel fear, to be wrapped up with fear, especially taking this kind of approach to uh, a loved one who isn't a Christian. You, you feel like, well, well, what if? What if I do that? What if? What if? What if? Don't have fear. Trust that God cares for you, that God will make things right as you follow this kind of path. And so, wives, let me, let me ask you questions, ask you application questions, not as a man talking to the woman, but just as a pastor talking to fellow Christians. Um, how, do, how do you talk to your husband when you talk to your husband? Is it gentle and kind? Even, even those times where you have to speak truth, you know? I mean, because sometimes as a wife, let's face it, you've got you to gotta challenge your husband on some stuff. You've, you've got to confront him. You've got you've to point out some, some flaws. You need to push back. In my marriage, that, you know, that's like a daily occurrence. I mean, it's like <laughs> recurring event in the Google calendar. I'm like, I don't know what it's going to be, but something today I'm going to need to be set straight on because, you know, my wife, she knows me. She knows all my flaws. She sees them better than anybody does. And so one of the, the ways God uses her in my life is to point out things in me that need to grow. But you know, you, you, can, you, you can challenge somebody in different ways, right? You can do it respectfully and gently and edifyingly, and you can do it harshly. And so I think a lot of it is, is kind of how we do it. And so when you do speak to your husband, even when you've got to like, you know, point out something obvious that he should know, you know, you can do it graciously, kindly, edifyingly. It doesn't have to be sarcastic or shrill or cutting or insulting. How do you talk about your husband when he's not there? How do you talk about him to other women? Men, how do you talk about your wives when you're with the guys? Do we, do we honor and edify each other with our words even when the other person isn't there? Or, or we do, do we love just to vent about our spouse to anybody who will give us the time of day? And what about following your husband's lead? You know, I, 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 we obviously don't believe in everything that happened in Greco-Roman culture, but we do believe that husbands are called to be spiritual leaders in their home. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But husbands are called to, to be spiritual leaders. So, so the question is, what do you do when your husband tries to lead? You say, come on, you need to lead, you need to step up, you need to stop being so passive, you need to, to you know, get involved in this family. And your husband's like, all right, I'll do it. And then you're like, not like that. <laughs> like, like, that's the thing about leadership is you've you got to create kind of a space for people to lead, even if they don't do it as well as you would. It's, you know, I, I know women who just like, they'd make a much better leader than a husband. But husbands are called to lead. And so you don't do it. And then even if they're doing it bad, even if they're like, okay, I'll lead. Let's go to Egypt, <laughs> you know, and, and tell them you're my sister. You know, it's like, <sighs> yes, dear. You know, it's like you, giving people space to lead means giving people room to make mistakes, giving people room to do things in ways that, that maybe you wouldn't do it. And so that, that's part of, of leadership and followership and 
And so, do you give your husband space to lead? That's the kind of thing that, that's attractive. It's beautiful. It's honoring to God. It's like Jesus to respond that way. Can I flip this around? Are you a husband here today who is not a Christian and you have a wife who is? Maybe that's why you're here, because your wife's like, you just got to come to church with me, and you're like, fine. (laughs) You're here. Okay, fine. Maybe that's where you're at. Can I just like say to you, bro, man, God has put a messenger in your life, in your spouse. Bro, are you listening? (laughs) You know? It's like God, God's, God loves you so much. He wants you to know him, and, and he loves you so much that he didn't just send some random evangelist to come knock on your door and hand you some religious pamphlets. That's not how he's reaching out to you. He, he brought a beautiful, godly woman, and he put her in your house. He put her in your arms. And when you, when you embrace that beautiful woman that he's given you, you're embracing the love message from God who's trying to get through to you. Are you listening, bro? Or are you just like, ah, ah, she's always, you know, after me about church and God. Maybe God is after you. And he's he's bringing you the most tender, sweet message by, by bringing it and putting it on the lips of someone who is dearest to your heart, that woman with whom you fell in love. Is your heart open to what God is saying through your wife? Don't close your heart. Well, since we're on the topic of husbands, let's look at verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So why is it that women get six verses shot at them, and the husbands only get one verse. Well, hopefully now you can answer the question yourself, now that you understand the context, right? So, what's the primary angle of this passage? It's not a generic teaching about marriage. It's specifically addressing the issue, what do you do if you're a Christian in a subordinate role in society to someone who isn't a Christian and maybe is even hostile to your Christian faith. How do you handle that? And that's the situation wives are in in Greco-Roman culture. Husbands simply were not in that position. If you, so, so if, let's say you're pagan Joe and she's pagan Jane and pagan Joe hears the gospel and he converts to Christianity. You know, what does that mean for his wife? Well, it means she's, she has to at the very least just kind of suck it up and be like, okay, that's my husband's new religion even though I really still like Zeus. He's into this Jesus thing. So, so you know, the husband was in a, a position of authority in, in that situation particularly. So he's not facing the same kind of challenge that, that a Roman citizen is facing, that a slave is facing, that a wife is facing. So that, I think that's why there's fewer words. Interestingly, if you go to Ephesians chapter 5, which is a kind of more normative teaching on husbands and wives, you'll find there that the wives get like two verses and the husbands get like... 20 verses or whatever, how many it is, I'm exaggerating, but a whole bunch of verses because, you know, bro, we're kind of thick-headed, right? So, but here it's about those 
who are in these subordinate roles. So it's interesting that he even includes husbands at all, isn't it? So husbands, how should you be? Well, verse 7, in the same way. Isn't that interesting? In the same way. So there's something about whatever's been said already about citizens and slaves and and wives that also applies to husbands. So the gentle spirit, the quiet spirit, the holy, pure, reverent life also applies to husbands, even though it might get worked out socially because of the different situation they were in. And yet, in the same way, all of the things you've heard already about citizens and slaves and wives should also apply in some way to you husbands. That should mark you. Husbands, you also should have the character of Christ. You also should be willing to submit and follow in, in appropriate ways. He says, in the same way, and here's what it looks like. He says, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. So be considerate. Think about them. Don't take them for granted. Uh, Live with them with knowledge and and understanding. And treat them with respect. The, The Greek word there could also be translated honor them. I like that. Honor your wife. Honor her. You know, do things that, that show that she is, she is special and precious to you. When I think of men who honor their wives, I think of one elderly couple in our church in particular. I love being in an intergenerational church, by the way. I love having young families with little kids here, and I love having old people and everyone in between because we have so much to learn from each other. And I love having you elderly folks in the church. Sometimes you elderly folks feel like, ah, I don't matter anymore. Church is going on. I'm just here. No, 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 no. We're watching you. You're showing us how to do it. And we appreciate you. And one of the, the couples that I love watching is uh, uh, Wes and Sheila Gustafson. You know, Sheila just passed away recently. They were married for, I asked Wes this morning, and... Uh, they're married for 54 and a half years. And, and you know, Wes always had a title that he called his wife. Like all the time. What, what is it? Princess. princess. Like he always called his wife princess. To her face, to other people. That was his honor. And he felt that. He, he felt like the pauper who got to marry the princess. That was his, that's why he used that phrase. And... Um, such a beautiful thing to see this man honor his wife. She may call you master, but do you call her princess? Do you honor her like a princess? Do you, do, do you serve your wife like royalty? Does she feel like she's a princess because of the way we treat her as husbands, for those of you who are husbands here? If you asked your wife, do you feel like a princess, <laughs> what would she say? Let's see who the real courageous men are here who'd be willing to ask that question. Treat them with honor or respect. And so, so this, is not, this is not female oppression. This is men honoring and respecting and building up and showing great love and devotion to their wives. It's real leadership is servant leadership. Now, notice why. He says, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Ah, I was just getting comfortable with this passage. (laughs) Then he's got to throw that in, the weaker partner. There's blatant sexism, right? I don't think so. Actually, 
actually like this verse. Um, Because I think what Peter is saying, I I take this verse in the most plain manner, that, that generally speaking, women are physically weaker than men. Generally speaking. There's exceptions. I mean, if you married Rhonda Rusi, I wouldn't be like, you're the weaker partner, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's great, honey. Here's an arm bar. No. Um, but, but in general, in general, that's true. In general, your average adult male is stronger and surging with testosterone and all that stuff that we know. And, and interestingly, in Greek, the phrase is actually, treat them as respect as the weaker vessel. In other words, it's the, the vessel, the vessel, the body that carries the spirit. Now, I think he's saying, like, you're bigger and stronger, so don't abuse that. Treat them with respect. I also think that, that the weaker thing could be also referenced to their social status, since that's something, that's a category he's been operating in. So it could also be, look, they don't have the same legal rights and status as you. So... So be considerate of that. Treat them with respect because they're in a weaker position. I don't think it means that Peter thinks women are intellectually weaker. You know why I think that? Because verses 1 to 6, he's addressing women. And he's using rational arguments to explain why they should behave that way. He's assuming they have a brain and need to be reasoned with. Which is very different, by the way, from Greco-Roman philosophers and moral philosophers who when they wrote about household codes would not address women. Because women... You know, where they, that's what they thought. But here's Peter addressing women as dignified, intelligent people. So I don't think it's a weaker intellectually or even a weaker spiritually, as we'll see in a moment. I think it's talking about physical strength. Um, in other words, man, don't, don't, abuse, don't, don't abuse your wife. Don't, don't use that to your advantage, your social and physical strength. You know, we have, we have two daughters. We also have two sons. And one of the things that we've tried to teach our sons over the years in certain circumstances is you, you, never, you never hurt women. You don't do that. You know, we, tell, we try to teach our sons. You, you treat women with honor, whether it's your mom or your sister or girls at school. You don't you don't use your physical size and strength as a, as a male to intimidate women. That's, that's off limits. We don't do that. You know, don't, don't look at pornography. Don't look at nude images of women. That, that's, that, that's just training yourself to be disrespectful to women. It is disrespectful to women. Only arrogant men do that. And, and you never... You never push a woman or punch a woman or shake. You don't do that. That's not how men behave. Men honor women. Men protect women. Men, men treat women as, with a code of chivalry and respect. So we need to drive that home. And I think this is like a passage that speaks right to that issue, doesn't it? Respect them. Don't abuse your strength. And so I think we just need to be super clear about that, especially, especially on this issue of domestic violence, which is, which is such a, a terrible thing, emotional abuse and verbal abuse and physical abuse and spiritual abuse. And we just need to be really clear as Christians that that is off limits, that that has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. Because I think sometimes what's happened is people take a few words out of context 
like, you know, the husband is the head of the wife and the wife should submit. And they're like, well, you know, that's the proof text for abuse. Where if you read it in context, the, the, the kind of headship that Paul's talking about is sacrificial love, not, not abusing power. And so we need to be really clear, that is not what Scripture's talking about. And so if you're a woman here today, I, I, I hope nobody, I hope this doesn't apply to anybody. But if you are here today, and you're a woman who's enduring verbal or emotional or physical abuse, I... I I just pray that you don't think you should keep quiet and not speak up because, well, I'm trying to submit. You need to speak up. (laughs) You need help. And you can do it in a way that honors God even when you have to push back and take a stand. And if you're a man here today, and and you know, you hate to admit it, but you just lose control. You just lose control of your mouth and your emotions and you, you throw things and you're threatening and you're aggressive. Maybe you even harm your wife. I, I just want to say to you, bro, you need help too. And, you know, any of us pastors here would love to meet with you, not to condemn you, but we want to help you. We want to help you grow and, and break free of that and figure that out. So like call Dave or Godwin or me or Seth and like let's grab coffee. We, we want to help you with that because godly men respect and honor their wives. Not only as a weaker partner but also as heirs of the gracious gift of life. They're also Christians too. God loves them. His grace is for them too. They're spiritual equals, not inferiors. And so treat them that way. We should treat each other that way in the church as co-heirs of life. And then look at this warning at the end. Woo. See that? It's kind of a warning. It's actually kind of a threat. <laughs> so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Men, if we don't treat women with respect, God won't listen to us. That's like the scariest warning you could possibly get. That if you, if you want to make it so that God won't listen to you, then treat your wife or women without respect and without honor. That's heavy, is it not? Because God is the defender of the weak. You see that all over the Bible. God loves orphans. God loves widows. God loves foreigners. He loves those who are weak, and he's always rising in the defense of the weak. And so if men don't mirror that God-like instinct to take care of the weak, then God will do it on their behalf. So let nothing hinder your prayers. What do we do if you're a Christian and you have someone whom you love who's not a Christian We've got to woo them over. We've got to tell them the gospel, yes, but we need to back that up with a life that's transformed by the gospel. Because here's the thing we also believe as Christians, man. We, we believe Jesus can save anybody. <laughs> Whoever you are today, whatever you're dealing with, Jesus can save anybody. His death on the cross can rescue anybody. And so if, if you have someone that you love who's not a Christian, 
I just don't give up hope, even if you're like, it's going to take a miracle. Maybe. But okay, let's pray for a miracle and just keep faithful to the Lord. Don't give up. It's not a promise that guaranteed something's going to happen, but stay faithful to the Lord. Don't give up. And if you're here today and, and you realize you need help or you need the Lord, the Lord can save you too. No matter what it is you're lost in or trapped in, Jesus Christ saves all who call on him. Even if your whole life has been arrogant and proud, if you will just humble yourself before Christ now and say, Lord, I've been wrong and need you, Lord. Jesus saves. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would give us grace to be godly Christians whose lives are winsome and attractive. Lord, I pray for every brother or sister here who's in a difficult situation where they are in close proximity to loved ones who don't love Jesus, in close proximity to loved ones who maybe are even harsh or negative and oppressive in some way. Oh, Lord, give them grace. Give them the courage to speak up and the grace to do it in a way that that is honoring you. Lord, help us as Christians in this post-Christian culture to be like Jesus, who is both full of grace and full of truth. And God, I pray if there's anybody here today, Jesus, who doesn't know you, maybe you have put a Christian in their lives to reach them. Oh God, soften their hearts. Show them how much you love them. Lord, bring them to yourself. I thank you that there's hope, even for for the, the worst of us in the worst situations. Oh Lord, you love to save the lost. And so God, save us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.